0: out of the 24 who were killed, were Americans who had come to learn in the I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, it is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geberer with another episode. Of Jewish history soundbites, and before I announce tonight's very exciting uh, episode, I want to read a recent letter. I got a few, a few letters in this regard. So I'm just going to choose one of them so I can clarify something. Apparently, there's a bit of misunderstanding. Just recently, had the Pietzetsner Snereber of Kleinamis Kalman Shapiro's site. And had a episode devoted to uh, episode devoted to him, so I got the following letter. I quote: "Hi, I heard you said that the Pietsetsna's yard site is either hay or vav chesven. I saw elsewhere that it was Dalit chesven. Are they wrong? Is there something I can send to prove it? Also, I always thought he was killed in Treblinka, and." of letter. So let's address the first point, and then I'll address the second point. The first point is the correct date. So the reason I said hey Ervov is very simply because in 1943 when he was killed, um, he was presumably killed, and it was not in Treblinka, it was in the Travniki, probably the Travniki, uh, I'll, I'll get to where he was killed in, in the second part, in the Travniki uh, concentration camp. During Aktion Enternfest, the Operation Harvest Festival of the Nazis did to wipe out the last Jews of that part of Poland, of the Lublin district, forty two thousand Jews massacred in a two day shooting spree, one of the most terrible and horrifying and cruel tragedies and massacres of the entire Holocaust. And um and uh that's when they're all, all those camps are liquidated and wiped out, again, in mass graves and shooting. And November 3rd and 4th, 1943, correspond to Hay and Vav Cheshven. So that's that's the reason why the assumption is that it's Hay or Vav Cheshven. There's, I mean, he's asking if there's any, anything to send to prove it. It could be there is. I highly doubt there's any document or eyewitness somewhere that could tell you if it was Dalit or Hay or Vav. It's hard for me to believe, but all the evidence points in that direction, meaning there's absolutely no reason for us to assume that the day before the Aqtzi started, for some reason, the Piyot Rebbe himself was killed when everyone else was killed over the next two days. It just, it doesn't really make any sense that it would be that way. So I stand by what I said. If someone comes up with a document that it was really Dalit and not, hey, I'm, I definitely will stand corrected, but I don't believe that that would be possible to prove. The second point, um, he thought he was always killed in Treblinka. So where was he killed? He was probably killed in the Travniki labor camp where he was sent after the Warsaw Ghetto uprising. There is one source that I saw that he was killed in Budzin, which is a nearby camp, also next to Lublin. Um, I don't think that's, that's right. It's, we have eyewitnesses that he was was in Travniki, and we also know that the Jews of Trav, in the Travniki camp were killed during Action Enternfest, and I think the Buds and Jews were killed at a later date. Um, definitely not Treblinka, and that is really, really easy to prove. And since we know he was killed in 1943, and since, he, whether it was Dalet, Hey, or Vav Cheshven, it was definitely in Cheshven, and Cheshven is November, November 1943, guys, come on. We know that Treblinka, as a camp, was closed in August. After the revolt of August 3rd, 1943, the Nazis dismantle the camp. No gas chambers, no nothing. They plant trees there. They pretend that nothing was ever there. November 1943, there is no Treblinka. So obviously, he could not have been killed there. So hopefully that issue is laid to rest. And um, now we move on. To much, much more exciting um, um, topic. And the topic to today is the first of a two-part series, and this time, one of those rare times that will be one following the other, uh, just to get a real full picture of this amazing person, upcoming yard site of the late Mir Rosh Hashiva, the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir in Yerushalayim, Reb Nassin Svi Finkel. Um, and uh, when I come to talk about the mirror Shashiva of nuance Finkel, so this puts my credentials a little bit at stake here because this is really the first time that I'm talking about someone who not only did I know him very well personally my I was in the mirror for quite a few years, and eight of them were. With him, together with him, a very close and warm and amazing relationship, which I'll get to also probably more in part two, um, and um, someone who was basically my my rebbe, my role model, someone very very close with, drew a lot of inspiration from, and a very loving and warm relationship. And how does that match Jewish history sound bites where you have to have where I have to have an objectivity of a historian of someone who's telling relating a story a historical context and this this poses a difficulty when you know someone personally when you have a love and a warmth and, and a subjective view of that person then it's going to be hard to put it into uh, objectivity so it's a challenge and uh, we'll see how successful uh, I am um, but um, you know making that transparent and putting that out there so um I'm going to definitely mix in a lot of uh wonderful recollections I have of him and uh, like I said that's going to be mainly in the uh, in the uh, second part where I go into more of the anecdotal and, and and personal of the of his later years. Um the one of the goals about speaking about someone like the Rosh Hashiva, and you know my kids know already and I have a big picture of him in my living room my kids know if I say the words the Rosh Shiva, So, most people in the world, since they, at one point in most people's lives, they've had the great fortune of bumping into a Chaim Berliner. And if you speak to a Chaim Berliner, then the Rosh Shiva means your Kutna. Kutner. And the truth is that, that most yeshivas have their person who they call the Rosh Shiva without naming him. And then they kind of expect you to know, oh, you don't know who I'm talking about? The Rosh Shiva. If I say the word Rosh Yeshiva without saying his name, I'm obviously talking about this and this person. Okay. Everyone's entitled to their Shiva, so I guess I'm entitled to mine also. So when I ever when I always refer to him, I always call him the Rashiva. I usually don't even say Rubnasan Svi Finkel or the Mir Shiva. Um, so when we talk about the Rashiva and Svi, so there's usually there's I feel, I find that we have to dispel some myths at both extremes. And what I'm gonna do in today's episode is give a lot of the background of where he came from and his early life and his family, a bit of his lineage um, and his background and how he grew up and what was his, you know, his, you know, everyone knows he grew up in Chicago. Either you read it or you heard it, or if you ever spoke to him, um, you know, <laughs> this reminds me. Um, I was once asking him a question after a sheer clully that he gave. It just reminds me of who he was. It's not it's not a telling like an inspirational story. It's just, it just gives, you know, just a reminder of who he was. He um he was speaking about you know he gave the year in, in Yiddish in, in the in the base medish in the Mir yeshiva, and the main base medrash. And um and, and he was, was when he says it in Yiddish, it is somewhat of an American Yiddish, but it, it did sound pretty Yeshivish. And when I'm asking him uh, a question after the Shira Kalalisa, I asked him in English, and he answered in English, you know. Um, and when he answered it, I remember he was making a distinction. I, don't, I have no idea what the Gemara was talking about, honestly. I don't remember which Masech we were even learning then. But he was making a distinction between um, passive and active. And he had, till his last day, he had this heavy Midwestern accent. I'm from New York, so I always think a Midwestern accent sounds funny. And he said, it's either passive or active, And <laughs> I just like... Just like yeah, he's he's Chicago, you know. All of a sudden, you forget that he's the great rashi of the mirror, and he's really from Chicago. He really has that Midwest thing about him. So, so he he had. Like I said, I started saying that there's 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 usually there's there's a thing to dispel some myths at at both extremes. Some myths; those are the ones that I really want to make sure to get rid of is they try to make it look like a standard guddle biography you know he was uh he was uh I saw a Hebrew language language publication wrote this about the reshiva. he learned uh, you know grew up in chicago they couldn't deny that um but he was learning his whole life and and he was a genius and a I mean, It kind of looked like any other biography that you'd open up and um really come on there's so much more to say about him and and his background and what how he grew and how he became who he became and 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 you know and there's really no reason to to you know change that so that's one one side of the story and then some people go to the other extreme they say he grew up like basically secular like in this really modern home and he like rebelled against everything he grew up with and he decided he has to learn Tyra and look, he became the Mirashiva. That's also not true. You know, he did not rebel and he did not uh, um, grow up in this uh, super secular modern home and he was not a Balchua. So we have to really kind of like, you know, find what the real story is all about. And uh, and and I think that's, that's really the beauty of the story of the Reshiva is that he? By the end of his life, he was Roshiy of the Mir, for the last twenty-two years of his life. The greatest, um, definitely the greatest, also the largest uh, yeshiva in the world, and and um, you know, a great gadol bi a great Talmud chacham, and, you know, someone who was you know one of the leaders of the Jewish people in a certain extent. And at the at the same time, he wasn't a distant leader. That's the beauty of his story, is that he was he very much related to people on a personal level. He very much related to specifically to the Americans in the yeshiva, which was the predominant English speakers in the yeshiva who came from overseas, who were the predominant population of the Mir Yeshiva. And he was able to relate to them and to their needs and to their struggles and to their challenges and to their hopes and and growth because of his background so he really like was able to balance both worlds he, he reached the epitome of rabbinic and and Talmudic aristocracy and at the same time because of where he came from what his background was he was able to relate to everyone at their level for who they were and that's really um, the story of the reshiva and I want to bring it out with a story uh, i always going to bring out with stories. And the story the story is that he had, he became a, he was appointed the emir Shiva after his father-in-law, um, Rabbein Shvinkel, who was also a fascinating personality in a different way, um, passed away in 1990. So the Rashiva became the reshiva, was appointed the Rashiva. It was also a process. It wasn't so simple that he should be the one. There were other candidates that, that we will leave uh, for another time. But he becomes the Rashiva. And, and very shortly afterwards, he's appointed a representative to some one of these uh, rabbinic organizations. I don't think it was the uh, Gedele Hatar. I think that came at a later stage. Maybe it was the Vada Yeshivas. The Vad Yeshivas, all the big reshah yeshiva in Israel were part of, members of this. And there was some sort of meeting of the Vad Yeshivas by one of the great rabbis of the time's house. And uh, this was the first time that the reshiva was attending as a member of the Vada Yeshivas. If, if it was that, if it was that framework. And he said, he, said, he related this afterwards. He told his brother, the this story <laughs> afterwards. And I think this story, more than any other, brings out who the reshiva was. And that's why I want to start off his story with this anecdote. He, he said that he sat there in a corner, was hoping no one would look at him. And and he was being very, very quiet. And then all of a sudden, Baruch Matche Ezrahi, a great Rosh Hashiva in, in Eretz Yisrael, he turns to the corner, points to him, and he says, the demir Rosh Shiva." And what does the Mir Rosh Hashiva have to say about this? And he said, he looked around and he's like, "Oh my gosh, they're looking at me. <laughs> what do they want from me? Get me out of here." <laughs> and and it made him feel like, you know, so so uncomfortable like like, you know, this is where I am. And why is that story so one of my favorite? Um because he was at the end of the day with all his greatness and he was the Mir Shiva and people did want to hear what he has to say about a Large var- variety of issues, but at the end of the day, he was in a certain way very regular, very normal, very down to earth. The fact that he related that story the way he did, and that his reaction was the way that was, I think that uh, that says a lot. So, his talk a little bit a little about his uh, his parents and family. Um, his father. So first a little bit about his lineage. At the end of the day. No matter what his background was, and no matter the fact that he grew up in Chicago, and he, and, uh, and we'll talk about his schooling in a minute. At the end of the day, his last name was Finkel, so he has some, some yichas, some rabbinic aristocracy, Lithuanian aristocracy there. So where, where does he really come from? So I'm going to bore you for a minute or two to just explain what his lineage is. Um, he's clearly named after the Alter Slobodniks when he when he was called Nadi, in Chicago, so not everyone realized that it was Nussin Svi that he's named after his his uh, great-great-grandfather, uh, his great-grandfather, excuse me, the altar of Slobodka, um, the original Reb Nassim Finkel. But once he switched over from Nadi to Reb Nussin Svi, so it was clear that he's named after the exact namesake of the altar. So his grandfather, Reb Ram Shmuel Finkel, was one of the sons of of the altar. And um, he was a mashgiach in Chevron Yeshiva. He had moved with his father from Slabotka to Chevron in 1925. And he got a position in the Yeshiva as a mashgiach. And he had a few children. Uh, one of those children actually was a fellow by the name of Eliezer Finkel, who was known as the Slabatka Ilui. Eliezer Finkel was the grandson of the altar, the son of the mashgiach of Slabotka. And he was the Slabatke Iluy, a big Talmud Chacham, and he had a son, has a son rather, he's still alive, whose name was Usher Finkel. He's actually a retired professor Usher Finkel, a professor of some sort of science. I don't remember what. I think he lives in Eretz Yisrael today. He's, as far as I know, he's still alive. He's in his late eighties, and um, in fact, he's he's the Rashiva's first cousin, obviously, right? Uh, his father, Eliezer Finkel, the Slabatke Iluy, and. Uh, the Rashiva's father, Leo Meir Finkel, were brothers. So he's his first cousin. He's much older. He was much older than the Rashiva. So, in fact, he gave, this professor gave the Reshiva a bar mitzvah present, a Sefer Mitzvah of the Rambam, which still exists, and he inscribed it, and you can actually see the inscription, um, that was um, a present. He writes it in Hebrew, giving you Matana, that uh, you should learn about the mitzvahs of the Rambam, mitzvah of the Torah, you're becoming bar mitzvah. You're you know you're chayiv now in mitzvahs, and you should uh, use this book as your guide to keep the mitzvahs of the Torah. So, amazing uh, connection there. And you know this this uh, this this Ilui's this son is uh, still around, a retired professor. And this uh, the one who he gave the present to followed uh, that directive, and he uh, became who he became as the Mir So in any event, so that's another son of this Rabbi Shmuel Finkel is Rabbi Elia Meir Finkel, who also learns in Hebron. He's a great guy in Hebron. His grandfather was the altar. His father was the mashgiach. He learned very well. He gets smicha from the reshiva of Hebron, from other rabbis in Eretz Yisrael, makes it to America at some point. And um, I think he was, I should have looked this up before, and I think he was in Rabbi Yitzhak Kharan in in YU for a time, period of time, if I'm not mistaken and he makes it to Chicago, where he marries his his wife, who is a native of St. Paul, Minnesota, and she also is still alive. May she live and be well. Uh, Sarah Finkel, um, who came from a Polish religious family living in St. Paul, which wasn't so common in those days to stay strong religious. She originated from Sosnovich. I had the Privilege recently of interviewing her personally, I went down to her home. I called her up beforehand to interview her and ask her about all kinds of things. Very interesting. Completely with it, she's made she live and be well in good health. She's ninety eight years old when I interviewed her, which was about a year ago. So I guess she's ninety nine now, and um, clear as as you know, very clear. And um, she told us that um, that she grew up. In Saint Paul, but her family was from Sosnovich. It comes from a Hasidic family. Most of Sosnovich was actually Radomsk Hasidim, so possibly she comes from that background. And they live as religious Jews in Saint Paul, and she marries this this uh, Slobodka Chevron aristocrat, grandson of the altar. And they spend some time first in Detroit, and then later in in um, Chicago. And when they're in Detroit, they actually had another family connection there. First of all, this slabatka Ilui, his brother, was um, was uh, was a Rebbe in Detroit. And a fascinating story, is a, a yeshiva in Detroit called Yeshivas Chachmei Lublin, which sounds familiar. Oh, we just had our Mayor Shapiro's yard site the other day. Yeshivas Chachmei Lublin had a branch in Detroit, which you know, not many people know. And he was a Rebbe there. This sort of les, laser Finkel was a Rebbe there. See his brother was there, and there's another Finkel in Detroit. There's is is this these the rebellion mayors' uncle, his son of the altar, uh of Slobodka Ruvila Finkel. And I uh, just uh, I recently looked it up again, Romnassin Kamenetsky. Brings how this uh, son of the altar left uh, the altar, left his father's path, and it seems to have left religion altogether, and moved to America. And he says he was a trolley conductor in Detroit. Um, I don't know much about this this story. It's kind of hard to pick up anything. I actually want to put it out there. If any, any of our listeners know anything about this, this interesting Finkel connection, this uh, Ruvala Finkel, son of the altar, and what he did in Detroit, and, and how he lived, that would be great uh, if anyone can send me that. I'm just putting it out there, a little promo, if you know anything. So, so he, they move from Detroit to Chicago, and that's where the Shiva grows up. The Svi grows up in Chicago. He goes to day school. So again, everyone emphasizes that he went to a day school. And the day school... Was Cohen, and he and he was he loved baseball. He played. He was on the baseball team. He went through elementary school and high school. This is what day school life was like. Again, I want to put some nuance and balance. You're talking about very prominent members of the frum community. You're talking about his father was in Chevron, got Smicha. We'll see what type of home they ran in a second, but this is. The fact that he went to day school already is something. Most children of his day in the 1940s and 50s in America went to public school, right? So on one hand, you have he's an All-American. He's playing baseball. He's a popular guy. He's in a co-ed school, but he's in a religious day school, not in public school. So you have an interesting balance for out-of-town America. This is pretty, this is almost like fanatic religious for that time. So so uh, you have to keep that in perspective also. So he his parents uh, yeah, the, the the home that he grew up in his parents were their activism in Jewish communal life in Chicago it's like mind-boggling. They were involved in every single communal event in Chicago at the time and I'm not even exaggerating. I have a friend uh, a close friend who's who's a bit of a uh, history researcher you know i hang around with all those type of nerds i have some normal friends too but you know we do some research together and he uncovered a treasured trove of 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 documentation through newspaper clippings and the like of his parents hosting Yeshiva fundraisers for Punovvish for Slabatka for Lakewood of, of Rabar Kutler, for and, and a diversity for the Mizrahi for David Dome in Israel there is a bit of a Zionist home that he grew up in. they were very involved in, in a lot of the religious Zionist organizations and yeshivas and rabbis and at the same time with the Punavejarov stayed in their home and Ramat HaSholman of Slabatka stayed in their home and Rabar Kutler and stayed the, the and they hosted in parlor meetings and teas and, and especially his mother like she was hosting these things and organizing women to get involved and, and helping fundraise and, and all types of drives and it's, it's, it's absolutely mind-boggling the exposure that he had to communal involvement to chesed, to responsibility for the community for the personalities who he was exposed to the reshiva as a child who stayed in his home, some of the greatest Jewish leaders at the time. This is an amazing side to him that's uh, usually not so emphasized. And it reminds me, I remember during the Shiva, and I was still in the mirror at the time when he passed away, and during the Shiva, one of the hespedes that really left in a, uh, an influence on me was, was his brother-in-law, Bishrael Glustein, who was a rabbi in the mirror, shiva. and he said his emphasis of the whole entire hesped was the home that he grew up in and the healthy home, and the loving home, and the warm home, and the type of parents he had who were supportive, and, and they were great parents, and, you know, first of all, it's something we generally, you know, sometimes either overlook or take for granted, unfortunately, in, in general life, and also in the case of the Rashiva, when the emphasis usually is in how he was as a great Reshiva in his later years, and Abiglustein was reminding us that a person can only become great if he is fostered in the environment of a warm home like that. So we got all the way up to his high school years. I thought I would get a bit further, honestly. So we'll have to really cram a lot more in in the second uh, part two. Maybe we'll even have to have a part three, who knows. So um, this was part one of Rav Nassim Sui Finkel, the Mira Yeshiva. This was Yudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, And of course, tours and trips. Follow, uh, subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and don't miss an episode. You can follow us on Twitter at J Soundbites. The Messiah has passed on 2,000 through him That gentle smile